0: Jesus never changes, always the same. Amen. It's good to know, isn't it? I'd say amen. It is good to know. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28 as we begin this evening, and we're going to venture off into some other places, too. We're going to talk about discipleship a little bit, and... we actually have a handout if somebody could have Joseph could you give me a hand with this maybe And um, everybody gets one fill in the blanks if you need to borrow a pen from somebody I'm sure somebody around you has one I'll be standing at the back afterwards to make sure you got all the right blanks filled in with the right information, so, you know, our church is, provides a a number of different, um, discipleship, uh, lessons, the first one I guess we ever put out was 13 lessons, 13 different lessons. Uh, Brother Cook, and some of them have been using that on Monday nights, some of the men. Um, the first one's on salvation, the second one's on baptism, 13 different lessons, covers the church, the subject of what to do when you sin, uh, the person of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, um, just salvation, of course, I mentioned that. Um, Eternal security, assurance of salvation, thirteen different lessons. Then we all we have a follow up on that. Two different series that are similar to that, but a little more in depth about walking in the Spirit, things of that nature. Everybody needs to know these things. They're all designed, though, not just for a person to study on their own. Though a person can study them, and if you ever were interested, just ask us. We have many copies of those. We can make those available. But they're also particularly designed for going through discipleship lessons with other people, one-on-one. We've done it, most everybody in our church, many people in our church have gone through it at least one time, one-on-one, sometimes with a couple. And, And then we have another series of lessons, five or six lessons just on salvation. Building up to a person, helping a person understand the role of the Word of God, how sinful we are, how much we need to be saved—those kind of things. I just say all that to say, uh, we have a lot of material that we have available, and sometimes we just need to remind people about that. I think. Um, But I've, but I'm, I'm going to just do a few, a few lessons here on Wednesday nights, and this will be the first one, of course. About some general objectives we want to cover in the matter of discipleship. I think it's a good refresher for us, but it's also good for others. Let's stand together, please, and read some of the most familiar words in the Bible and use them as a place to launch out from as we really notice what this contains. Matthew chapter 28, let's look at the last two verses. Jesus speaking to his disciples, to the assembled body there, the church. And he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Just think about the the matter of this group of people. When they met in Acts chapter 1, there was 120 of them. And Jesus said take this message to the whole world. I mean, to me, it's a daunting task today to take the message to the whole world. When you have the internet, when you have, you know, radio, television, texting, mass media, all these means of getting the truth out, and still it's a daunting task, isn't it? Go you, therefore and teach all nations Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You may be seated. So this is the instruction, this is the final marching order. This is the job description that Jesus gave to his. Disciples and he tells them to make disciples. So, A, the commission was to reproduce themselves. I want you to go tell other people, explain the gospel to them, get them baptized, and you and then I want you to teach them everything that I've ever taught you. By the way, in order for them to teach the others everything Jesus had taught them. They must have been paying attention when Jesus taught them, right? Teach them everything. So this responsibility given to the Lord's churches is perpetuating. That means it just goes on and on. This was the first, this we have this command in various wording in the gospels and the book of Acts, but it's it was to be perpetuated. That means one, one church, one group of people, one individual tells others, and I mean, somebody told you, somebody told me. We've told others, they're supposed to tell others. So what's included in this commission? The first thing is evangelism. He doesn't say evangelize in verse 19. He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, but the word there to make disciples, to instruct them, and then baptize them, implied and embedded in that is the evangelism. We've got to go give people the gospel. Give them the gospel. After they're saved, they need to get baptized. That includes in itself this, the planning of churches because when a, when a person gets scripturally baptized, they become a member of the church whose authority baptized them. In Acts chapter 2, it says, They that gladly received his word were baptized, and the Lord added unto them about 3,000 souls. So, so you've got evangelism, you've got baptism, you've got church planting. And then you have this matter of learning and living the word of God. He says, "Teach them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So everything they had been taught by Jesus was to be taught to others. Now this is not this command. If we look at this as though this commission was given to 12 people and only 12 people, then that means that after they're gone, it's, it's no longer relevant. It's no longer... Um expected, but that's not true. It was given to the followers of Jesus, and, and we as followers of Jesus are to we're to evangelize, share the gospel, see people get baptized, and teach them everything. Under that, number four B, nothing the Bible teaches should be considered unimportant. Jesus didn't say go teach them 90% of what I've told you or 75% of what I tell them everything I've taught you. So everything matters. So that that's what le- that's what leads to spiritual growth and learning and sharing and applying and then and that's really reproducing ourselves. You know, our church uh, over the course of years since we've I've been here and that we've supported a number of church planters, people who've gone into other places uh, to preach. Uh, uh, Brother Morrison up in Fishkill, uh, New York. Uh, Brother Sigmire out in. Um, Worthington, Minnesota, other church planners, men who've gone to places that didn't have a church, and we've supported them financially until the church was established and they were organized. That churches reproducing themselves, people reproducing themselves. Now we all I think we all believe that. We all would all agree with that. And this includes, there in your notes, this includes, but is not limited to public preaching and teaching. What we're doing tonight is. Is that we're teaching. We're teaching the things that Jesus taught us. But pulpit ministry is not the only place that this discipleship should take place. Matter of fact, it's not even the most effective place because people can sit in a congregation like this and not even pay attention, not listen, not learn, not learn themselves, and certainly not learn well enough to go tell somebody else. So it's, so it's, it includes this public preaching and teaching, but it's not limited to that. This, this commission, these two simple verses in the last part of Matthew's gospel, this commission, the success of it hinges on two things, two, two entities, two people groups. First of all, saints have to be committed to sharing it with others. If every, if every saint went on strike then this whole thing would die, right? The reason it still lives is because people keep telling the story. People keep sharing it with others. We, we have the gospel because someone gave it to us. I'm talking about we in America have the gospel because the gospel was being spread before America ever was. If, every, if, if, just, if, all, if everybody quit, maybe, maybe you're sitting here thinking tonight, you know, I can't remember the last time that I... Engaged a person in a spiritual conversation or I can't remember the last time I gave out a gospel tract and you've just sort of been in that mode for a while. What if everybody did that? If everybody stopped, then this message and this movement, if you call it a movement, would stop. Now it's not going to stop because uh, God has people continue to tell it but, but the commission depends upon saints being committed to sharing it with others but also disciples those that are learners by the way if you're a learner you're by definition you're a disciple and also if you're not a learner by definition you're not a disciple so the second group disciples have to be committed to taking their spiritual growth seriously right if they're not willing to grow if they're not willing to listen if they're not willing to like I said we have a number of different people right now not not this very moment now but it, uh, this period of time that are meeting with other people in our church, or evangelizing, going through discipleship lessons with other people. We have a number of people who are engaged in discipling people, but you can't disciple a person who's not willing to be taught, right? You can't teach someone who doesn't want to be taught. So it, so there are two things, two things that have to happen. Number one, those of us who are saved need to be willing to do what we're supposed to do. Number two... People who are learning, people who are saved or want to be saved have an interest in spiritual things. By the way, in the New Testament, the word disciple didn't even always refer to saved people. But it referred to people who are listening and learning and wanting to know more. Those who are disciples are. I put in your notes here this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2 because it speaks to this subject. And the things that thou hast heard of me, Paul is writing to Timothy, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. It depends upon people being willing to teach it and it depends upon faithful men who will not only learn it, but be willing to teach other people. The things you've heard from me, the things you've learned from me, In the presence of other people, the same commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others. That's the way it's being perpetuated. So every disciple ought to be involved, every follower of Jesus. So we're going to spend a few Wednesday nights talking about this subject. And I'm going to to give you several different objectives that we want in discipleship. And by the way, every one of us here tonight... Should be a disciple. Disciple doesn't mean you know everything. Disciple means you're learning. You're a student. You're being instructed. I'm, in, I'm being instructed. I'm being instructed by the Lord, by his word, by other people I listen to. None of us have arrived. Right? It, when you finish, when, when you finish your 12 years of school plus a kindergarten year, 13 years for most people, some people stretch it out into twenty years, but <laughs> you get a diploma, you graduated, but that doesn't mean you know it all, right? Nobody's arrived. We're still learning. So, what is it we need to know? What are I'm just going to give you a few basic things that I think dis, that all discipleship points toward. And the first one tonight, we're going to cover the disciple is to be established in their new identity. A disciple needs to learn who they are, not who they think they are, not who other people say they are, but what does God say about me? To to live the Christian life, for me to live the Christian life depends upon me having a grasp, and not only a grasp intellectually, but experientially in who God says that I am. Um, I want you to turn with me, if you would please, to the book of Philemon. Philemon. We're going to be in verse 4. Philemon, right before Hebrews, right after Titus. In the New Testament. (laughs) Philemon. We're going to be in the first chapter. Let's just read a few verses here in Philemon. Verse 4 says, Paul is writing, of course, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, Hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. That verse 6 is what we want to think about as we're thinking about what discipleship what discipleship should help us understand our new identity. Let's just look at this verse again. I want to read it again. Look carefully, if you would, in your Bible. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Not every good thing which is in you, period, but every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. Now, highlighted in your notes, three words that I think help us understand this verse. The first one is communication, that the communication of thy faith. And the word communication means what we would think of as to communicate, but it, it's the word in It means partnership and sharing and distribution, that the communication of your faith would become effectual. Now, what does that word effectual mean? It means effective. It means Some some synonyms would be active and operating. It's working. The communication of your faith would be effective, notice this in verse 6, by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Acknowledging means you have correct knowledge. You recognize something. So I'm going to paraphrase this verse and and notice what, what it's saying to us. The more we know who we are and what is ours in Jesus Christ, the more effective we'll be in distributing or sharing it. So one of the things, one of the, one of the general pa- courses of discipleship, not a course like I'm going to go through these lessons, but the direction of course, one of the general paths of discipleship is a continuing, growing, and understanding who we are. Because our experience tells us things about who we think we are and people may tell us things about who they think we are and our own mind may tell us about who we think we are but the most important thing is to know what God says about us. And so we want to know who we are, our new identity. As I was preparing this, it came to my mind that we must first know who we were before we were saved. I mean, a person, just like the Bible teaches us who we are as saved people, the Bible teaches us who we were before we were saved. And there's some people here tonight, or some people maybe that are seeing this, that the matter of, Who a person is before salvation is probably more relevant to you tonight than who we are after we get saved. If you're not saved, you need to know what it means to be lost. Now, I'm not going to teach that whole lesson, obviously, but but let's just look at this briefly because the more, I think, the more we know who we were, the more we appreciate who we are. Now, I'm going to look at Ephesians, I'm going to look at a couple of passages, but first I'm going to go to Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, just the first three verses, and I'm going to read through them and just kind of point out some things that we want to emphasize. This is, this is not just you or me, a few selected individuals. This is everybody that ever breathed God's air. This describes who we were before we got saved. Ephesians 2 and verse 1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We'll come back to this another time, but quicken means he brought you to life because you were dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in times past you walked, this is how lost people walk, according to the course of this world, living like the world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So according to this passage there, number one, this is how we were. We were spiritually dead. I know we think about dead people as being people who Have ceased to live and they're, you know, passed from this life, and we remember them and they're buried. And but but that's not talking about spiritual death, that's talking about physical death. Spiritually dead people are living and breathing. Sometimes they even go to church. They try to do good things, but they're spiritually dead. You know what that means? They have no relationship to God. They're spiritually dead. They're in spiritual, or excuse me, our sin separated us from God. And by the way, if we could see things from God's point of view, on our best day, we're still as lost as we can be. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, I think about this verse from time to time the plowing of the wicked is sin. Just out there doing what he can do in his own energy, that's sin in God's eyes. We're all sinners. So, we were spiritually dead, and then we were in spiritual—we were in spiritual bondage. We were in bondage. That talks about this to the, to the power, prince of the power of the air, and and the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. We were by nature the children of wrath. You know, when Jesus was and that great John chapter 3 passage about being born again and for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son in that same passage it says that talking about lost people the wrath of God abides on them that's amazing The, the wrath of God if you're here and you're lost and you don't get saved the wrath of God is presently currently abiding on you that's what the Bible says so this is how we were before we got saved One other passage I'd like to turn to before we get into the new identity, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because I have a lot of ground to cover tonight, I'm going to resist the temptation. If I was in a Bible study with a smaller group, I'd be wanting to ask questions and see what they're thinking, make sure they understand. Some people may not understand this, but I mean, I enjoy what I do. I enjoy teaching the Bible, but I enjoy listening to the Bible just as much as I enjoy teaching it. But I was thinking the other day of all the times last week I I preached, you know, a couple of times on Sunday and then had a funeral last week and um, had a Bible study on Friday night with just five or six people. But truthfully, the Bible study we had on Friday night with five or six people is the most fulfilling time in the Word I had all last week. You, have to, you don't have to have a lot of people to enjoy Bible study. We don't enjoy people because we have a lot of Bible study because we have a lot of people. We enjoy Bible study because we're studying the Bible. First Corinthians chapter six and verse nine. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Be ye not deceived. Don't be deceived about this now. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, But you're washed and you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So any unrighteous person is incapable of entering God's kingdom. You shall not. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's not talking about human righteousness. You know, the Bible is very clear about this, that our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of the Lord. So our, because of our unrighteousness, we're incapable of entering God's kingdom. No lost sinner can inherit the kingdom of God. So that's, that was our predicament. We were spiritually lost. We were dead. We were in bondage, separated from God, the wrath of God abiding upon us, and then we got saved. And so what happened when we got saved? We didn't just, we didn't just turn over a new leaf. We became a new person. That's salvation. Now let's go back to the passage we had in Ephesians. Go to Ephesians, except I'm going to begin in Ephesians 1 and then go to Ephesians 2. In the rest of our evening, we're going to talk about our new identity. What happens when a person gets saved? I'm going to begin in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. I'm going to read through these verses, and I'll mention the things that are in our notes if you're filling in. By the way, you're staying up with us in the blanks and stuff. Bella, you doing okay? We're good? Have you missed any? We're good. All right. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, in Christ. That's the first thing you want to notice about who we are. We're in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5:17 says therefore if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things, old things are passed away, all things become new. We're in Christ. Verse verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, then we should be holy and without blame. Before him in love. Now, what does that mean when it says he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. It means God decided before even creation that everyone that was in him would be saved. He didn't choose that the religious people would be saved, He didn't choose that the good people would be saved. He chose that everyone, no matter the color of their skin, no matter where they came from, no matter what they've done in their past, no matter what they'll do in their future, but everyone that's in Him will be eternally saved. And because of that, verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, He adopted us. We are adopted into God's family. God adopted, adopted me his family, Isn't that a wonderful thing? Verse 6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. In the Beloved it's talking about Jesus, the Son. And He's made us accepted in Him. God accepts us in Him. We don't have to work to get God's acceptance. We are accepted in the Beloved. This is what happened when you got saved. Verse 7, In whom we have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So we're redeemed th- through His blood. Redeemed means He purchased us. He paid the price for us. And we're forgiven. So, so what caused all this? What is, what is the thing that triggered all this? Verse 12 says that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. You know when this all started? For us, it's when we trusted in Christ, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when we believed on Jesus Christ, then we were forgiven, we were redeemed, we were accepted, we were adopted, we were placed in Christ. And verse 13 says, In whom ye also trusted. After that, you heard the word of truth. This is how it works you hear the gospel. Maybe through a preaching sermon. Maybe through listening to the radio. Maybe through reading the Bible. Maybe through a friend who went through scriptures with you. But you heard the word of truth and you trusted in him. You heard the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that you believed. The moment you believed it. You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So when we believe we were sealed eternally. Now... That's good to know, isn't it? Aren't you glad you don't have to keep yourself saved? Aren't you glad that there's nothing you can do to undo what God did when you got saved? I'm talking about knowing who you are, knowing your identity. This is who we are. We were in Ephesians 2 earlier. and Let's... uh, Remember what it says in verse 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Then in verse 5 he says, even when you were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved. So, he quickens us, he made us alive. We can't make, you can't make yourself come alive. You can't do it. You couldn't do it physically, you can't do it spiritually. Young person, there's nothing you can do to make yourself go from death unto life. God has to do that. Amen. And that He does it the moment you believe on Jesus Christ. And He showed us mercy, verse 4, for, but God who is rich in mercy, <laughs> for His great love wherewith He loved us, He quickened us. So He showed us mercy and we're saved by His grace, verse 5, by grace you're saved, there in parentheses. And then verse 6, it says, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Right now, tonight. We're sitting here physically. We're in church. We're going through our notes. We're carefully filling in the blanks. We're listening, we're listening to what uh, God says about our new identity. But spiritually, positionally, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's good to know, isn't it? This is what happens when a person gets saved. Verse 10 says, if you follow him down a little further, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are his workmanship. We're a work in progress. We had, I think, our posted devotion, was it yesterday or today? was how that God finished what he starts. You know, God whenever when I say posted, for those of you who might not know, our daily devotion goes out on, by an email every day. And, um, and, that, and one of those was about this, about how when God what God starts, he finishes. And he's not finished with me yet. He's been working on me for 40 years, right? But he's not finished yet. You may think I'm you may think I'm pretty close to being finished, but you don't know me. Ask, ask my wife. She knows I got a lot of work to be done on me yet. And God knows that. He's working on us. So we're His workmanship. I was, we were in 1 Corinthians a moment ago. Let's go back to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We read these a moment ago. Um, How it says in verse 9, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God and, and extortioners, verse 10, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, and such were. That's a good word, isn't it? Were. And such were. You were this. Some, such were some of you. Some of you were idolaters. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you were liars. Some of you were drunkards. Some of you, such were some of you. Past tense. But ye are. That's what you are now washed but you're sanctified but you're justified in the name of the lord jesus and by the spirit of our god so so we are washed we're sanctified we're justified now turn the page or turn go a little further in the chapter matter of fact near the end of that chapter chapter six and notice what it says we're just talking about who we are verse 19 What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? Don't you know you're not your own? Verse 20, for you're bought with a price. You belong to somebody. Therefore glorify God, the one who bought you. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. This is who we are. Number four there in your notes, A, our lives are not our own. Everybody needs to know this. Your life doesn't belong to you. Belongs to somebody else. You belong to somebody else. A person who lives as though they are in charge of their own life and that that their life doesn't belong to anybody. That person either is not saved or they never really understood what it means to be saved. Our lives are not our own. We have been bought with a price. And what is our purpose? Verse 20 says, glorify God in your body and your spirit, with your gods. We're to glorify God. Now, let's finish up by talking about something I think is very important, and, uh, and that is this. This does not mean we never sin. This doesn't mean we never sin. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. By the way, I didn't didn't write this little study uh, for any other purpose than to teach it tonight. But you know, you could you could go through this very study with another person and look up the verses, it'd be a very meaningful time. 1 John chapter 1. It could be one of your children, it could be somebody that's inquiring about spiritual things. Maybe somebody's trying to jumpstart their spiritual life. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5 says this, this then is the message which you've heard of us and declare unto you that, and that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is altogether completely, absolutely, totally light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, anybody that reads that is going to understand that because you're saved doesn't mean you're sinless. It does mean God doesn't... God has forgiven us of all sins, but it doesn't mean that we never will commit an act of sin. Because it says there in verse uh, nine, we're to confess our sins. That means we tell God about it, and we don't tell God about it just for the sake of if I don't tell Him, I'm going to die and go to hell. We tell Him to cleanse our conscience, and we tell Him because He wants us to remove everything that stands between us and Him. And God and God doesn't want us to sin. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. God doesn't want us to sin. And if any man sin, we're not supposed to sin, God doesn't want us to sin. But if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The word advocate uh, means that He is our, He's our defense attorney. He's, he's there on, for us, sitting at the right hand of the Father. In verse 2, and He, the sentence continues, into verse two is the propitiation for our sins. That's a that's a big word, isn't it? Propitiation. It means atonement. That's the parentheses there on number four in your notes. Jesus is propitiation, the sacrifice, the atonement for our sins. We don't, God doesn't want us to sin, but if we sin, we need to confess it and own up to it and be honest about it. And when we sin, we have Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father, and He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If you read down a little further in verse 4, it says, He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in Him, but whoso keepeth His word in Him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we are in Him. Obeying God is characteristic of God's children. Will God's children sin? We will sin from time to time. We will sin occasionally. But sin does not characterize God's children. Obedience is what characterizes God's children. Obedience to God. Turn to Romans for a moment. We're going we're to end up there. Romans. And I just want to point out some things about sin in chapter 7. This, this, we could spend a lot of time here, but we're not going to do that. We just want to kind of talk about what we, because I think one of the most important lessons, and we have a whole, we have a whole lesson, probably a lesson that would take two or three hours to go through verse by verse and talk about it in our 13 week series on what to do when you sin. That's an important thing to know. What do you do? You know what God doesn't want you to do? He doesn't want you to live in guilt of it all day long. He doesn't want you to be defeated by it when you sin, God wants you to confess it and put it behind you and go forward. That's what, and so this is an important subject, but we're not going to have a whole lesson on the subject because we have those lessons, but look in Romans 7, 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now keep in mind who wrote this. If I wrote this and said I'm carnal, you'd say I can believe that, but the apostle Paul wrote it. And uh, he says, I'm carnal, sold under sin. So if you're looking at your notes, we still have to deal with our carnality. Even though we're sinned, we, even though we're saved, even though we're, we're standing before God, cleansed, even though we're seated at the right hand of the Father down here on this earth, we deal with our flesh and carnal tendencies. Verse 17 says, now it is no more I that do it. If I sin, it's no more I that do it. The sin that dwelleth in me. Now, a lost person could look at that and say, well, that's conflicting It doesn't make any sense. But we know what that means. It means the new man, the new me, the person I know I am does not sin. But my old nature, my carnal nature is prone to sin. We live in this sinful flesh. Verse 20, now if I do... If, excuse me now if I do that I would not in other words, if I do things I know I shouldn't do and I do I really don't want to do them but if I do it it's no more I that do it but sin that dwelleth in me. It's not the new me that sins. The new me cannot sin right? If I get in the flesh and get mad at you, it's not me <laughs> don't blame me. <laughs> It's not the new me, it's the old me. Blame blame that. Blame Adam. Verse 21, I then find a law that when I would do good, every time I want to do good, evil is present with me. Every time I want to do right, evil is with me. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. There's There's a good indication you're saved. There's something inside you that enjoys doing what God wants you to do. There's, that's the new man. The new, me, the new me wants to do what's right. But, verse 23, I see another law in my members. talking about in his body, in his flesh, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity, the law of sin, which is in my members. There's a battle within. Every Christian has this. Paul had it. If Paul has it, stands to reason we would have it. O wretched man that I am, verse 24. We've all felt that. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So we, the victory we have is in Jesus Christ. One page to the left. Romans chapter 6. We're talking about we're new, we made new creatures. We've been adopted. We've been forgiven. We've been cleansed. We've been washed. We've been justified. We've been glorific- sanctified. We have been sealed. And we're seated with God in heavenly places, but we still have to deal with sin. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 talks about baptism. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. This is what baptism pictures. We're buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the, glory, uh, from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so we also should walk in newness of life. Baptism pictures that we're dead in Christ, buried in him and raised to new life. Verse 11. I'm just abbreviating this, of course. Verse 11, likewise reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The word reckon means accounted as a fact. We're to reckon ourselves dead to sin in Jesus Christ, but alive to God. That's how we deal with the old carnal nature. We have to recognize that Jesus didn't just die for our sins, plural, the acts of sin that we've committed. Jesus died for our sinfulness. And we were in him. How could we we be in him when he died? The same way we were in Adam when he sinned. We were in Christ, the second Adam. We were buried in him. Raised up to walk a new life. And baptism pictures that. Therefore, verse 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. We're not to allow sin to rule in our bodies. Any kind of sin, pride, lust, bitterness, dishonesty, hypocrisy. We're not to allow it. Does, do those things come into our life from time to time? Sure, but we're not to allow them to rule in our life, we're not to let them reign in our life. Verse 13, neither yield your members. Your members, your eyes, your mind, your, uh, your hands, your feet. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Don't yield yourself to sin, but yield yourselves unto God. As those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. We're to yield ourselves to God. Verse 16 says, know ye not. I like it when Paul uses those kind of rhetorical questions. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom ye obey? If you yield yourself as a servant to sin, you, to sin you're going to become a servant of sin. You yield yourselves to God, your members to God, you become a servant of God. So whom you yield yourselves, Servants to obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. So number five down there, we are servants to whomever, whoever we yield ourselves to. The rest of these verses talk about that. Who we are. And, and, and dealing with sin from the vantage point of who we are in Christ is a lot different than dealing with your sin as a lost person. Right? Right? And we've been given God's truth and we know who we are. We're new creatures in Christ. We've been born again. God is our father. We've been adopted into his family. We're seated with him in heavenly places. We're eternally sealed by the spirit of God, but we still have to deal with our sin. And our victory is not in ourselves. Our victory is in him. So the last last thing on your notes, the disciple needs to be established in their new identity. And it's good to be reminded of that. But it's also good to know that if we're trying to help other people, that they need to know that. Because a lost person gets saved. You know, when I got saved, my spirit was raised from the dead and it was eternally changed instantly. But I still had the same mind I had the day before I got saved. And I still had the flesh that I had the day before I got saved. And so sometimes people think, well, maybe I didn't get saved, you know, because I still think bad thoughts. Well, God gives us, God helps us in his word know what to do with our thoughts. But we need to know who we are. Those, those bad thoughts are not who I am. Right? I'm a new person in Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. Now, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, you need to seriously think about what we're talking about tonight. And if you think you're saved, and yet there's not a part of you that just wants to do right and wants to love God and wants to serve God, if that that is not something you can identify with, then probably you're not saved. Because when you get saved, something happens inside you that changes you forever. Right? It does. And if we're saved, then we need to be reminded about who we are and what to do when we mess up. Because we're all going to mess up from time to time. Right? All right. We're going to have several more lessons on this subject. This is the first one we need to be... What, should, what, should, what do we want? What's our objective in discipleship? That we be established in who we are in our new identity. Let's stand together, please, if you're able to stand. Heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we never get uh, tired of the truth. It's good to be reminded, as Peter said several times in, in that epistle, first chapter, Lord, we thank you for what it means to be saved. And God, we need your help to know what to do when we fall, when we sin, how to how to deal with it biblically. When the, when the devil accuses us of who he says we are and tells us we're worthless and there's no hope and we can never... Get back. All those kind of lies. Help us to remember who we are. That we belong to you. You've adopted us. We're in your family. We thank you for those things tonight.